Hey everyone, welcome to episode 172 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hi Lee. Hi Chris, how's it going? It's going good. I last saw you like two days ago, so don't have a ton of updates since then. Yeah, this was like one of the first, maybe the first day where we were doing commentary, but you weren't actually doing commentary. No, producing. Yeah, which was, it's it's a little tough to explain if you don't know exactly like our process and stuff, but one of the roles that the people in the back need to take care of while we're doing this, it's really hard to like get matches on and have them ready to put on camera and just sort of like coordinating players and players streaming to us and stuff is kind of it's like not quite enough work that like one person is fully engaged doing it the whole time but the time when busy stuff happens is like at the beginning and ends of rounds and so it's kind of important to have one person there to just be doing that and i was doing that and also like some various technical producing stuff just kind of running the stream and it ended up being quite a bit and i didn't get to commentate which also sucked so you know but the yeah, show went pretty well. Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job. Like honestly, uh, I know it must have been tough, and there were was... a couple hiccups here and there. But I think for the most part, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was definitely challenging. But yeah, I, I mean, Legacy is great. The format was super fun to watch, and you know, y'all did a good job commentating. You sounded great. Uh, so pretty happy with the show that we put on. What are we? What are we talking about today? Uh, so we're going to talk about some Legacy gonna talk about historic some because apparently like that's the format that everybody is interested in right now it just seems to be the main topic of discussion uh there was a star city event this weekend that was historic and people are kind of focusing more on historic it seems like for prepping for the what is it zendikar rising championship whatever the pro tour analog is called that's coming up i'm pretty sure it's the set championship yeah so zendikar rising in this case yeah um, and so historic seems to be kind of the focus right now. So we're going to keep talking about that some more. I've been playing some and I watched some this weekend and yeah. So when did you have time plan. to watch some? Uh, like well, Sunday, I mean, Sunday, you know, we didn't go on until four. So I, I was watching it like during the, during the morning. I was doing sucker things like cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to do that cause I'm staying with my parents right now. <laughs> well cool you'll i i didn't have time to watch or chose to use my time differently to watch a bunch of historic i've just been keeping up with like the deck lists and i've played not a little historic i play like a medium amount historic but it's mm-hmm. all with the same deck i haven't really been taking the format very seriously sure yeah i mean the takeaway from this weekend basically makes it feel like a true like three deck format like there's really only three decks you can defensively play if you're really trying to win and players are choosing to play those and then the rest of the format is just like kind of a mess of decks that aren't actually very good those three decks being sultai slash four color mid-range goblins or and sacrifice whether it's jund or rakdos uh, and if you're not doing one of those things uh, i don't know if you're you know you you might be having fun with it, but you're probably not winning as much as you would otherwise. Shout out to the color white for having Yashar in it. 
Yeah, even Skyclave Apparition is not... There's just no way to leverage it in an actual deck in in Historic. Like, there's no other cards to put in the deck. Yeah. It's real rough. Uh, the main, like, data thing that I'm looking at right now is that... And also, follow this account if you haven't on Twitter, MTG Data, MTG underscore data. They don't post a lot, but every couple of weekends, they'll just post a really nice breakdown of sort of how a particular format went that weekend. Uh, and this weekend we got a lot of historic matches, and so we have some pretty decent historic information to look at here. Uh, and I've just got a chart of win rates over the weekend and some surprising numbers, some numbers that may not totally reflect reality. Uh, the one thing that's really bumming me out here is mono red aggro, which last week I thought might be the best deck in historic, looking close to the worst deck in historic. <laughs> Yeah, we were high on it, and then reality came crashing down in the form of Mayhem Devil and such. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that these numbers are totally indicative of where the deck could be, because to be quite honest, every single list of Mono Red that I saw posted from different people, including content creators, like, was not right. Just like lots of Chandra's in places where I don't think they should have been, like, I don't actually think you're supposed to be running Robber of the Rich as one of your twos. Like, I don't understand running Robber of the Rich over Earthshaker Kenra and stuff. And it's just, like, weird little things where, like, things stuck around from lists that people p put out that just nobody bothered to change, even though they're, like, clearly incorrect. But I don't know that any of that is t enough to change this from a 37% overall win rate deck into a deck that you actually want to be playing. Yeah, I, I agree. And also, I have been of the opinion for a while that with mono red decks i think unless the mono red cards are really really good like they were around like Amonkhet standard mm -hmm. i think mono red's win rate is always going to be fairly low just because i think it's a very difficult deck to play and people who play it it's like really easy to get into and play mm -hmm. but winning with it consistently is very difficult in my experience sure which is why like when I think of mono red players, like Sandy Dog always crushes with mono red, even though when I know the deck is objectively bad, he'll just pretend it's a good deck and crush mm -hmm. with it. So I always expect mono red's win rate to skew low and rely on like very skilled players to tell me if it's actually good. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think the deck is a lot better than if it's built properly and played properly is a lot better than a 37% deck. But I don't know if that, you know, that gap is pr a pretty big one to cross. Yeah, for sure. So just to like get an idea of the gap between the decks that are heavily played and the rest of the format here, we've got Sultai Midrange at 300 decks as the number one deck, 309 lists, Goblins in second place at 184. But the Sultai number isn't even counting the four color midrange in its count, which is another 63 decks. Sultai midrange is like a third of the format here of these tournament registered decks. Yeah, it, it dwarfs. It has triple the copies of the second most cop played deck. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it just makes me wonder why Thoughtseize was in the format, you know? I don't understand. I've played a, quite a bit of Historic in several different decks, and I just don't understand Thoughtseize and Muxus primarily. I, I think that those are both like huge, huge net negatives to the format. 
But Sultai is so good because it gets to play like Uro, Thoughtseize, and all the good permission spells. Mm -hmm. And four color mid range, you're only playing white for Yasharn because Yasharn is so huge in the sacrifice matchup, it flips it completely. Yeah. The, the, this, these numbers are hilarious, honestly. If we look at Jund Sacrifice, Sultai has a 46% win rate against it, and Four Color has a 58% win rate against it. And then if we look at Rakdos Sacrifice, Sultai apparently has a 27% win rate against it, but Four Color has a 72%. <laughs> Obviously, take these numbers with a grain of salt, and the, the differences are it's unlikely that they are quite that stark, but Yasharn helps. Feels, it feels that stark after you cast Yasharn. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can... That matchup really, playing four color, becomes stabilized until you can land Yasharn, and then Yasharn wins the game for you. Sure. Yeah, and I think that it's really important for the sacrifice decks going forward to understand that. And, I mean, maybe not actually that important if people are still going to play sultai at a rate of like five times as it's five times as popular as four color here which doesn't make a ton of sense to me I, like yasharn seems like an incredible tool but if people start playing enough yasharns then that's a really important thing to take into account with your sacrifice decks and i i know that we were talking about um or i heard people talking about playing chandra in the sacrifice decks as an answer to Yasharn that's not just like a dead narrow removal spell when they don't have Yasharn in play. Yeah, I could see that. Especially like sideboarded for sure. Mm -hmm. It is kind of weird though, because these like these Sultai midrange decks, and I do agree, I think four colors just generally better. You don't actually give that much up to play Yasharn. You're you're only playing Yasharn and a planes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I and I, I just don't know what that's really costing you. In other matchups like it doesn't really well, from the spread it isn't it right. isn't costing you at all yeah it looks like maybe you become a little behind in the mirror against the sultai versions but i can't imagine that it's actually you know this chart is putting that as a like 54 46 matchup and i just it's probably still basically 50 50 yeah and those kind of matchups like the uro beating on each other matchups that's always going to be very skill intensive very play based mm -hmm. so i if sultai midrange is your jam i would just suggest playing four color instead you you get such a huge upgrade in the sacrifice matchup which is one of the other two pillars of the format yeah definitely i i just it just doesn't seem worth giving up that haymaker in that matchup which is an important matchup to have um, oh, the other thing that Chandra does for the sacrifice decks is it also, like, lets you beat graveyard hate and stuff. It's it's just an extra like card advantage engine thing that lets you play a game when they're shutting you down. That's a spot where I like that card a lot. I just have not. I don't think it's the right place to be for a mono red aggro deck. It wasn't when it was in standard, really. Like it was a tool that you use sometimes, but you weren't main decking it. Like it's not right to main deck it now in a more powerful format. Yeah, especially when, like, you're not going to win the card advantage war against Uro. Like, you just aren't. Right, exactly. I mean, you may be able to, like, I've definitely had some Soulscar Mage shrink that Uro down to, like, pathetic size sort of things. Like, you don't need Chandra for that, necessarily. We, we have Goblins, which is, like, the same deck it's always been, just the 
kind of the Punisher deck of the format. Mm-hmm. Like, respect me or I'm going to kill you. Honestly, I hate having goblins in this format. It It's kind of miserable. It just, like... I don't like having to brew... Or I don't like having to build my decks around it. I don't like having to mulligan around it. I don't like having to, like, include a bunch of really narrow sideboard cards for it. I, I, I just, like... I think it's... Like, goblins is an interesting deck to have in a format. But goblins that just kills you if they get to six mana is not interesting or fun. Yeah, goblins that's doing, like, the goblin tribal stuff with uh, Skirk Prospector or Ringleader or something like that. Like these weird card advantage or f- sacrifice your stuff for advantage. Mm-hmm. Like Goblin Hallmark Tribes. Yeah. That's kind of cool. When Goblins turns into like Tooth and Nail on a stick. Right. It becomes not very interesting. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with the deck being like, you know, Cranko is a sweet card to have be really powerful and like, oh, I got all these haste givers in my deck and then I can Cranko and then I can Skirk Prospector and cast something else. Like that's that's fun and cool stuff and you can interact with that with removal spells or, or whatever. But ha- that being the plan B that you interact with in a totally different way from how you interact with Muxus is really frustrating to have to take into account when you're you're building and playing and it does make the deck really good because like Cranko is good against a totally different subset of stuff than Muxus is good against and the it it you know you have a lot of angles of attack and they cover for each other but I, I think that the one angle of attack is just like egregious given the power level of the format it makes me feel bad for conspicuous snoop a card I actually really like mm-hmm. but feels bad every time my opponent plays it now <laughs> <laughs> and that card wouldn't even be that good if if cranko weren't fantastic like the fact that you flip a cranko and then you're like oh cool free like four tokens and you tap your snoop like jeez. yeah that that's sweet when it happens i like just the uh kind of old school oracle from Moldiah thing where you you're face up but you get to play cards off the top of your library mm-hmm. i like that part about it yeah yeah i mean that's definitely the cool part about it what have you been playing in a story? You said you play a little bit. Yeah, I tried a couple of things. I tried various God Pharaoh's Gift builds. I, I put together the Emery, Bomat Courier, Hope of Giripper thing with Uros in it. And the cards like mostly worked. And I won like a little more than I lost, but not like a lot more than I lost. And it was fun. Morag was actually really impressive. That's the Minotaur that gives you extra combat steps for if you landfall. I didn't like really read the card beforehand to understand how it worked, but it is templated to pretty much make it impossible to like really abuse it because you don't get an extra main phase when you get the combat and it only triggers to give you combat steps if the landfalls are made during main phases. So... You can't go completely nuts with it, but a sequence that I had a lot was like crack a gate to the afterlife, put a God Pharaoh's gift into play, get a Morog back, second main, uh, play a land, Uro, put another land into play, and then you get two more combat stuff. And like that's plenty. Like you usually win that's, from there. That's pretty good, yeah. Especially because Morog is also antheming your like leftover, like the gilded goose that you started out with on turn one and stuff is like now attacks for like one plus two plus three like that's really sweet does it give plus one every time you landfall or 
Every time yeah. it attacks. Every time it attacks, okay. Yeah. So the stuff that comes into play later gets pumped a little less and it would be impossible to keep track of in real life. But fortunately, we only play this format on Arena. I, I actually find that stuff's not too hard to keep track of in paper. You just like can arrange things a little differently. Yeah, but you're also like eternalizing stuff from the graveyard. Like there's a lot of weird, like tiny little memory things. Yeah, I've been on the record saying like, eternalize and all the weird stuff in Amonkhet and our devastation is just like so similar but vastly different from each other that mm -hmm. it was like crazy to print all that well, yeah also the fact that like eternalizing and bringing something back with god pharaoh's gift and bringing something back with the scarab god like they all worked slightly differently from each other well, the Scarab God and Godfrey's Gift are the same. They are the but... same, except that Godfrey's Gift gives haste, I guess. But yeah, they they are pretty much the same for memory issue stuff. It only Yeah, it only gives haste till end of turn, too, mm -hmm. which is awkward in standard, because you could bring back like a, something with an activated ability and, and then, then pass not be the able to use it on your opponent's turn. Yeah, Minister of Inquiries, mostly. Yeah. My conclusion from those decks, I, I also, you know, then I watched some of... On Nassif's stream, I saw he played against an opponent who was playing, like, a Sultai, like, just turbo mill yourself version with Minister of Inquiries and Stitcher Supplier and, and just, like, get everything into the graveyard as fast as you can. Uh, and I also watched a... I watched Piper Powell, who top-aided the Star City event this weekend, and she was playing a blue-white version. I think... So I tried, like, the Sultai version. I wasn't impressed with it because it wasn't really capable of doing anything powerful with its god pharaoh's gifts you were just yeah. bringing back four fours and like that's mm -hmm. not good enough you're good at it but it just didn't kill anybody uh bring back a four four stitcher supplier right. can't attack yet go ahead right it just like you just be putting a four four into play and they'd have a nissa and a hydroid crisis and you're like well like i did my thing and it's not even close to enough compared to what my opponent just put mana into, so... Yeah, the old ones were like, bring back Ravnus Chupacabra as a 4-4, kill your thing. This is not very good, go ahead. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you can have a like really good self-mill engine, but you need to make your Godfarer's Gift do things. Right, right. And so that's why when I saw like the blue-white version doing well, I'd kind of like dismissed those beforehand, because it shared a lot of cards with the standard versions, and that just didn't really seem powerful enough. I gave it a shot, and it just wasn't good enough. You spend so much time wheel, wheel spinning with strategic planning and chart of course and uh, champion of wits. And just doing the thing, which is get a dream trawler or an angel of invention into your graveyard, get a god pharaoh's gift in your graveyard, get a refurbish in your hand, pay for mana for the refurbish, and have it resolve, and have your... Godfrey's gift survived to your combat step. Like, it's a lot of hoops to jump through, and you did nothing in the f turns until you did that. Like, that's your thing. That's your one thing that you did in the entire game. And it's just not strong enough. If they disrupt you along the way, like, you paid all of this mana to do nothing. And even if they don't, like, I just had a game where I went through 30 cards and didn't find a refurbish, and none of my cards did anything uh thoughtseize is really good against you because if they take your charter course your hand is like your perfect hand your great six that you kept after mulliganing is like a refurbish and a god pharaoh's gift 
and like maybe a six drop like okay <laughs> i guess i'm dead yeah i i've had a little bit of success with that deck or i've, I've seen it rather and i know that it's good against specific decks where uh an eternalized angel invention is good enough to just catch up like mm -hmm. something like gruel aggro and they can't really disrupt you that well yeah mono red like anything like that you're you're gonna crush because you can you can fall behind three turns and then resolve an angel or a dream trawler mm -hmm. and then you're good you're fine but against like the actual good decks in the format you're just gonna lose goblins is just gonna kill you before you even do anything yeah yeah and and i we saw like piper's sideboard was like three graph diggers cages and th three or four of the uh what's it called that that one white mana enchantment that authority of the consoles just, so like a huge sideboard for goblins because goblins is just really good against the deck and you don't have a good way of stopping muxus from just killing you or stopping cranko and, and goblin chieftain from killing you and not and i think that was a fine strategy for piper but it's a flawed inherently flawed strategy mm -hmm. to board in like six plus cards that do absolutely nothing in your extremely tenuous combo deck yeah I, and i think like in that matchup she was boarding into being more of a control deck like i'm not i don't know that she kept all the refurbishes in or anything like that i think you know she brought in wraths as well so that you know authority of the consoles keeps you from dying to a combat step after they commit a bunch of stuff and then you just get to wrath them and hopefully just like cast some big big hitters from there but generally i just yeah not impressed with the blue white versions of the god pharaoh's gift deck even skyclave apparition just isn't like you know they'll play a scavenging ooze and you'll be like great i have the answer in skyclave apparition but all they needed to do was play it on turn three and exile your god pharaoh's gift and all of a sudden like all your work is undone because you're setting up your graveyard over several turns and just taking out one key piece like it, it, it's the deck is too fragile and not very good i see azorius auras got third place with the scg i have not played against that deck yet on ladder uh it is Quite good against deck. all of the creature decks. Like, is it, how does it line up? I guess I can check our handy dandy data shit here sheet here. Mm -hmm. Like, how does it or how does it match up against Sultai or Four Color? Like, it looks like it's kind of medium Horrible. against Sultai. Uh, the problem is if they have Extinction Event, like you can never beat that card. Oh yeah, because you're on like Karametra's Blessing and stuff like that. Yeah, Hushbringer's main deck is pretty neat. And one one thing that is kind of funny is like the risk of Hushbringer is what if your opponent has Uro, but this deck doesn't really care about Uro very much, especially if they don't get the comes into play because their whole game plan is digging to their extinction event or whatever their answer is that they can actually use against you. And Core Spirit Dancer gets way bigger than an Uro really quickly. <laughs> And, and you can also just race Uro with actual suited up Hushbringer yeah. or any lifeline creature. Like, Uro does not gain that much life, and it's not a big enough clock. It's the card draw that's good. Yeah. It is funny looking at this matchup spread. There are just some really good matchups and some really bad matchups. For Auras, yeah. Yeah. This is another one of those matchups where four color is strictly better than 
Sultai, mm-hmm. except for none of the cards that are that are included in four color make a difference right, in this matchup. Right. So like those numbers just don't mean any like it's just a, a hint that okay, don't put too much stock into all of these numbers exactly. It might also say that like the people who are winning more often are also playing four color midrange, which mm-hmm. would maybe imply that four color midrange is just stronger. Yeah, and maybe some stronger players. Or the stronger players chose yeah, right four color midrange yeah 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 but i do like the solid 88.9 percent win rate against gruel aggro out of orzov auras i don't or out of azorius auras i don't quite believe this 87.5 percent win rate against orzov auras out of azorius auras stat that that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me i speaking of like really skewed matchups uh, goblins has a 91.7 percent win rate against colorless ramp i believe it's like the paradox engine deck yep and yeah that's just spot on you can't win <laughs> not a chance and i don't think this is the paradox engine deck i don't think most play i don't think most people are doing that i think most people are doing more of uh uh like metalwork colossus and like ugin ulamog sort of thing i think that's oh sure more common. it's really like half a dozen of one yeah the other whatever i don't know what that saying is it's just <laughs> choosing how you're leveraging your mana into actually killing them and yeah you're basically a non-interactive debt you have no interaction at all and you're just trying to build up mana to kill yeah but like that i think that that colorless ramp deck is even worse against goblins than the paradox like you can nut draw them and they can stumble a little with the paradox engine deck with that ramp deck like your payoff is like all right put the sukin into play sweep the goblins and then they're like okay i've still got this treasure here's a muxus like you're dead here's six more goblins dang it <laughs> how could i have seen this coming or you like ulamog but they had 20 power in play so Good luck. You get rid of you get rid of their two mountains yeah. as a show of strength, yes. and then they kill you, and then block their muxist, which is an eleven eleven. Yeah, I like goblins is a stain on the format right now. It just like removes all of my will and desire to play it. I, I hate having that like if they have muxist, I'm dead. Just hanging over every game especially given the fact that it could be as early as turn three and is not that rare that it is turn three, that it's just like, if they have Muxus, I'm dead. And I, I, I hate it. Like, it's just atrocious gameplay. Uh, yeah, I haven't been taking Historic very seriously, as I mentioned. I've just been playing, like, the Mono Blue Paradox Engine deck I've been playing. Because I just think it's pretty fun. Yeah. Like, also, I smash Soul Time midrange with it, which is by far the most popular deck. <laughs> and I like they don't do anything you care about at all. They have no interaction for you. Sure. And they can't kill you. So you always win. <laughs> and it's so satisfying because you always get to combo off. And that's like all I want to care about. That's fair. As far as like win rate, win rates this weekend go, uh, Goblins was a very good choice. 56% overall. Rakdos Sacrifice is the one that kind of ran away with it. Some of that might be sample size and stuff, but 47 players played the deck, 62% overall win percentage. Uh, what do you think would make it better than Jund Sacrifice? Like, it certainly gapped Jund Sacrifice by quite a bit. I, I wonder what the difference is there. 
So I'm just gonna pull up a John Sacrifice list because I the ones I'm looking at, all the results I saw were from Rakdos Sacrifice. They mm -hmm. just like had a good weekend. Yeah, I mean the the Rakdos Sacrifice deck is just generally lower curve and kind of less mid rangey, like generally running scrap heap scroungers and you know stitcher suppliers and claim the first i guess they they all have heavy claim the firstborn investment but you know like john sacrifice is like a trail of crumbs deck that has sometimes main deck thought seizes and some removal spells uh rakdos is just not doing that it's playing a much more aggressive game particularly given the inclusion now of scrap heap scrounger and uh i i think that probably if if people are just not quite ready to deal with the pressure and then the threat of mayhem devil burning them out rather than mayhem devil as like a board clearing value engine then that's why that that makes racto sacrifice better when when that's good and the other side of john sacrifice too is like the collected company versions which are mostly like red black the collected company and i think those are also a little worse than racto's because you're not getting out like Collector Company is a really good card when you play it on turn four and then turn five mm -hmm. to like establish your board. But with these Racto Sacrifice decks being so so lean, right? Uh, they don't want to be drawing Collector Companies. They just want to don't want to see that card. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention that Collector Company like doubles down on your weakness to Grafdigger's Cage, mm -hmm. which I I went through a string of matches where my opponents just played Grafdigger's Cage game one against me like turn one of several matches in a row. So you can't really dodge it. It's happening. So I would try to not play Collected Company right now. It's also hilarious that Historic is in a place where Grafdigger's Cage main game one is like an acceptable thing to do. Oh, yeah. That's, that's absurd. And, you know, I was playing a version that I ran into that when I was playing uh, like my Emery version of the the God Pharaoh's Gift deck. And Cage wasn't great against me as long as I could actually get a God Pharaoh's gift into play. It doesn't stop that, but it did stop my Emery from working. And like, that was enough that it was just like pretty annoying. So that's why I wanted to try the, the blue white version of the deck to be a deck that like really didn't care about Grafdigger's cage at all and was doing graveyard stuff. But you know, that deck just wasn't good enough. So if I'm going to do God Pharaoh's gift stuff, then I like having access to like recurring Bomat couriers as just an alternative way to kind of rip through your deck and get some cards into your hand and do some things. Uh, but just none of them actually do seem good enough. And build your own tormenting voice. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the Recto Sacrifice just feels like a more eternal format deck to me i guess like corvald is a really powerful card thoughtsies is a really powerful card thoughtsies is not ideal in a deck where you're trying to put an engine together like this uh at least main deck i, I kind of just like how lean and low curve and just how many four ofs are in the rectos deck yeah i, I do too i think it just knows what it wants to do and execute that. Mm -hmm. It gives up like the flexibility that John Sacrifice does with its Trail of Crowns and Thoughtseizes and all those like interactive cards. Mm -hmm. But it knows what it's about. Like yeah. it wants to assemble the sacrifice combo, the engine, and just get you dead. It doesn't want to play around and draw like one too many cards that are not contributing. Right. 
and focus on the fact that you know you have all of these incidental pings and you add them together and your opponent may go to zero because of them priest of the forgotten gods uh cauldron familiar mayhem devil like you know a couple of damage off of claiming something that you're trying to kill like these add up and it is a really aggressive sort of engine that you put together anything else from historic you want to you want to go over i think the format's just kind of bad i agree <laughs> it's just not watsy did this thing where they introduced cards artificially mm-hmm. which i think to some level they needed to do because like you can't assemble three bad standards and throw them all together and expect it to be a good format i think that's naive right but like clearly introducing a bunch of these cards was not the way to go either and i think jumpstart especially was kind of horrendous yeah i mean are there any jumpstart cards other than muxus that are really screwing things up right now i mean i guess phyrexian tower yeah yeah all three of these decks that are like honestly the only decks that i can really just recommend that somebody play they are all heavily featuring a card that was just artificially introduced into the format whether it's thoughts like a big cornerstone of their like deck too yeah yeah i mean you only run so many phyrexian towers because it is legendary but when you have it the card is really good it's like drawing one of your pieces of power in Vintage, right? Yeah. You, just, you, you can't rely on it because it's their one-ofs, but <laughs> your deck really gets going with them. Yeah, even just using it to like protect your creatures against getting exiled and stuff, is, and it costs you nothing to put it into play, is really good. But also, it just makes a ton of mana. Yeah, I'm not, not really about Historic, but... No. There are a bunch of tournaments for it, and if you're looking to play in some of those, I would definitely stick to like the big three mm-hmm. right now, especially four-color range. I think that's the best deck to be playing. Yeah. I would lean towards four-color if I'm playing mid-range. I would lean towards two-colors if I'm playing Sacrifice, and I would lean towards one-color if I'm playing Goblins. There was a <laughs> blue-red version of Goblins on stream that I think I saw uh, Zan play against, actually. And it, it it was it's splashing blue for like ether gust out of the board, which it brought in in the mirror, and just it didn't seem very good. But Zan got extremely unlucky on his muxuses and lost the matchup. But his deck looked much better prepared for the matchup, so wouldn't do any silly stuff with the goblins deck. It's very good as is. Yeah, I'm not impressed by this blue splash you've described. I, it wasn't impressive ideally you just won't have to play historic for a while it's just not very it's not even necessarily it it doesn't seem like super unbalanced or anything there's a couple of different decks that if you have a play style that they match like you can play them but i just like haven't enjoyed most of my games like you eat i i feel like it's just constant like you either start the game off by getting thought seized or you're just sitting there like yeah if they have mux's turn three i'm just dead and there's literally nothing i can do about it and it's like a huge portion of your matches that are one of those two things and it's just it just weighs on you and you're like i just didn't enjoy any of these games yeah i th- I think historic is a pretty bad format to take seriously like competitively mm-hmm 
but I do enjoy playing it like when I'm playing my artifact deck and I'm just taking it casually and I like I don't care if I get thought seized because or or I play against goblins because mm-hmm. I just die and it doesn't mean anything to me you know I can sure. just like queue up on ladder again and try to combo off the next game but if I were to sign up for a historic tournament I'm not gonna have any fun yeah <laughs> like I don't want to play any of the decks that are good I don't I'm not I don't have a connection with any of them yeah they're not special to me <laughs> And the the games just aren't that enjoyable, especially if I'm like really trying to win. Right. On an individual play level, it, you know, Sultai Mirrors are f- interesting, but I, I just haven't really enjoyed much of my time actually playing. And I realize that when I'm just like two hours later, I'm just like frustrated and a little bit upset. And it's like, I'm like, this is a game. Why am I doing this to myself? And then I just stop playing. So. Can't really recommend Historic to anybody right now. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well. Um, I'm going to go on into a, a fancy topic. A new one. A legacy topic? A legacy topic. Yeah. So you were a little more engaged in the legacy we watched this weekend, because I had to go back and forth between doing a lot of different tasks, but you got to be in the booth and actually commentate some of these games. What I don't know. What are your thoughts about legacy after this weekend? <sighs> so legacy is... I, man, I wish it would have been like a month later mm-hmm. so I could have seen the impact on the Commander Legends cards, yeah. especially Hope Reacher. But honestly, this tournament played out very similarly to what I expected it to, which is that I thought three decks were way better than everything else, mm-hmm. which was Teamer Delver, sorry, Rug Delver, <laughs> uh, Death and Taxes, and Snowco. Yep. And that was uh, most of our top eight. And that was, I think, seven out of eight in our top eight. Yep. Just. <laughs> You know, legacy mainstay Selesnia Reclaimer in that last spot in the top eight. Yeah, the deck was cool, like for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, and it's surprisingly lost, but apparently Mark was really confident in the Bant Miracle versus Rick Field of the Dead matchup, mm-hmm. which was surprising, but he did play it very well. So, yeah. The hardcast Shark Typhoon, I think, was a play that he not only did, but was aiming towards. And is not a thing that if you don't know that matchup, you would realize like you have to prioritize at some point hardcasting Shark Typhoon to beat Field of the Dead. So like very, very well played by him. But it's like it's just just a little kind of boring, honestly. Like people are playing fun, cutesy decks like the Carneco deck, Mm -hmm. uh, like the Green White Reclaimer deck. But honestly, I think the prevalence of Teamer, Delver, and Sunoco being so... Like, it dwarfs every other deck. Mm-hmm. It is... It, it makes me not want to engage in the format as much as I have in the past when I've seen, like, so much more variety in Legacy. Yeah, I think that a lot of that is that you can play too many forces. I, I think Force of Negation is removing a lot of the ability to do weird stuff in legacy just because if you're trying to cast an important non-creature spell it's a lot more likely that your opponent's just going to be able to force it and wouldn't you know it non-creature spells are where most of the power in legacy lies Mm -hmm. right and so we see like the the three decks that really did the best this weekend and were the most heavily played which is like which shows that people like know what's going on in the format and 
if you're trying to like get around it, you're kind of deluding yourself a little bit. Like it's very clear what is good. Most people know it and some people tried to do something else, but it didn't work out. Uh, Death and Taxes, Snoko, Delver, like very fair decks. Just the power of Oko to beat other fair stuff, the power of forces to beat unfair stuff. And then Death and Taxes in the middle, leaning on Skyclave Apparition, that makes it good against Oko, because that's the only clean answer we've ever had to that card. Yeah, that card's re- that, that deck fell off the map because it's just so bad against Oko. Now it's so good then, against Oko. Yeah, and then Skyclave Apparition was printed, and now it's like kind of great. <laughs> because it's Pyroblast could always kill Oko, right? That's like a one-for-one. One. Mm-hmm. Skyclave Apparition has so much more flexibility than Pyroblast. It's good against like everything. It even kills Uro too. Mm-hmm. But it also just comes down takes away oko as well it's just you still have a tutu you can flicker it to get rid of their you know something else yeah you can flicker it you can put a sword on it you can put a gta on it like it that the tutu body in death and tact like that deck can use that body for sure yeah side note jita looked terrible every single time it did look like it got boarded out a lot (laughs) yeah it I kept questioning whether just a second sword in the main deck was going to be better than a Jitte in the main deck. Just have the Jitte in the sideboard. I think that it's... We didn't watch any Death and Taxes mirrors, and I don't think you... I think you're, like, massively disadvantaged if they have a Jitte and you don't have a Jitte in the mirror. Yeah, for sure. But Teamer and Snoko were so, so much more popular in Death and Taxes. Yeah. I think you just kind of have to weigh... Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not what you're losing. It's not impossible to sideboard it too. So, and also those death and taxes mirrors always go three games because they're the most intricate, like long games of Magic ever. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I like giving up. I I I feel like you're kind of giving up game one if you don't have the GTA and they do. Like I don't. I it just seems like quite a sacrifice. I it, it, would it have is, to hear sure. from an expert though. We'll we'll call Mike. Yeah, you know Snoko is fine. Teamer Delver was really the the blue deck that no surprise just is the best thing that you can be doing. Uh, most heavily played deck, highest win percentage, fifty seven percent win percentage in our tournament. Just kind of when Delver's good, Delver's real good, and this is a really good iteration of the Delver deck. Yeah, and one of the cool things I saw from this weekend's Delver deck was the adoption of Young Pyromancer mm-hmm. in the main deck, which I actually quite liked. I only got to see it in play twice, I think. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, Young Pyromancer just does Young Pyromancer stuff. I can't really describe what makes the card good other than like reading the card text. <laughs> well, sp- specifically, you know, it's in the Tarmogoyf slots. Like, nobody was playing yeah. any Tarmogoyfs this weekend. And... Yeah. It is way better against like the Snoko decks than Tarmogoyf is. It's quite a bit better in in against like Death and Taxes, and I think it's kind of like comparable in the mirror. Yeah, Tarmogoyf's basically irrelevant, mm-hmm. whereas Young Pyromancer can build up this army to pressure opposing Okos or force a board removal while you're just hoarding up. Like if you have a Dreadhorde against any Young Pyromancer in play you're really far ahead without committing any other cards to the board. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Like, playing any of the... Like, over Legacy's history, basically, playing a control deck against a Delver deck, 
you love those game ones against them when the threat they kept was a Tarmogoyf. Like, that's what you are, like, hoping for a lot of the time is they, you know, kept a an okay hand with some removal spells, no Delver, but the threat as a Tarmogoyf. Because they can just play that, and then you can just let that attack you, like, four-plus times, and it didn't do anything, and then you kill it whenever. And that's not the case with Young Pyromancer. No, it, you can kill... Like, the same board state, right? Dreadhorde Arcanist and Tarmogoyf, you still have to do more things. Like, that's not good enough. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, Dreadhorde Arcanist Dreadhorde... is doing the heavy lifting there, right? Right. Dreadhorde Arcanist Tarmogoyf doesn't matter at all. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the advantage you're getting in that game is just because you're triggering Dreadhorde Arcanist, and that might beat them on its own. Yeah, it's not the Tarmogoyf, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Tarmogoyf's just there. It's a buddy. Yeah, and th- that's why there just were none this weekend. We didn't see a single Tarmogoyf in play, I don't think. No, and I wasn't surprised to see zero. Like, I, I don't remember seeing one in a deck list. But I was not surprised that there were just no Tarmogoyfs, because that card has never really impressed me. Yeah. Ever since the dominance of uh, these blue-green cards. It's the mirrors that it was always, like, kind of for. You know, if you have Goyfs and they don't in the mirror, like, it's just bigger than everything else. But given the existence of Oko, it's just not a reliable way of doing that thing. So a a lot of the reason to have it is just kind of gone. Yeah, and as we saw, it's not like Oko is for Tarmogoyf, like, in the mirrors. It's for everything. That card wins the game on its own. Like, right. m- multiple times on in the tournament, I saw all the Delver's players' threats get dealt with. They got an Oko through, and then Oko won the That's game. That's it. Yeah. And this is a deck without Astrolabes, without anything. It just made food, then made an elk. Yeah. And did that every turn. <laughs> True name nemesis is just never going to get cast in any deck that's not named Merfolk, like ever again. Is it even good in Merfolk now? Well, that's so. So there's two different questions there. Like, is Merfolk good enough to play ever? Like, no, obviously not. You can't play Merfolk. Is true name nemesis good in Merfolk? Like, yes. The entire point of the Merfolk deck is true name nemesis. Because you, you know, can pump it and stuff. And it, like, the, the Merfolk deck is a true name nemesis deck. But, you know, there's no reason to do that. You could play real magic cards instead. I could play Delver. Right. We could play Oko in our Merfolk deck. Yes. You can play Delver where every single card in your deck is, like, an A+, plus, like, 5 out of 5 card that has appeared in many different decks over the history of Magic. Or you could play Merfolk, where you got a bunch of grizzly bears. Hey, they could be elks on a good day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that that is one thing. Merfolk is one of the decks that doesn't really mind resolved Oko that much. It's usually fine. What, were there any cool decks? There were certainly weren't any cool decks like later in the tournament. Well, but... except for a Selesnia Reclaimer. Yes, there was a like four Selesnia Reclaimer decks or something like that. Yeah. Five. Yeah, and one made it to our top eight. Um winning his bubble match that we managed to get on camera that was a a pretty nice end to the tournament or end to the swiss i mean Um, basically just kind of a modern port pretty much it's an elfish reclaimer deck that uses a field of the dead in game and there's even a probable type in there with a dryad of the elysian grove and the falicut and just legacy power level lands and stuff like that yeah and green sun zenith 
Yeah, Green Sun Stand. Not legal and modern, and once upon a time as well. Yeah. So you get some like consistency cards that that make the deck certainly function more smoothly but the thing that it's doing is really just saying like i bet field of the dead like beats a lot of people in legacy yeah i kind of made that point on commentary where uh we were talking about how ben kept drawing his knight of autumn Mm -hmm. just to get rid of random enchantments and it was kind of weird that knight of autumn was just like kind of there in the main deck in the main deck but i said that it makes sense to me because like your your cards don't matter at all right you're just a field of the dead deck you could put whatever creatures are in your deck they don't matter they don't exist to win the game right they exist to like be a stumbling block or get you closer to field of the dead yeah like you've got yasharn in there which is just like boy i need seven lands and play for field of the dead and this is legacy but i guess this four four that draws two lands is probably good there it also oh, stops yeah a lot of things in legacy but it also costs four mana so like it stopped a food token in the quarterfinals yeah for lethal <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it stops you know a ton of things it stops like lion's eye diamond it stops fetch lands it stops like the street wraith cycle on a doomsday pile it, it's like surprising how many... it also stops the edge of autumn one too oh yeah because you can't sacrifice a land yeah <laughs> So you probably can't draw a card for free, but probably if your opponent has played Yasharn, you can set up a Doomsday Pile where you don't need to draw an extra card with a free draw spell to like you can Doomsday pass the turn. Yeah, and then I don't kill think them. The, I don't think the Doomsday deck is like disfavored against the Yasharn deck. No. <laughs> and and I mean like I think that the fact that Selesnya Reclaimer was fine like looks like it in our tournament actually had a 60 percent win rate like the deck is pretty good in legacy and that's because the format is so fair you can kind of leech off of everybody else's force of wills and force of negations this deck doesn't have those it can't beat storm like it just kind of can't well this is not a deck that can beat any kind of i'm gonna kill you now right like dark depths reanimator even oops all spells storm like any of these decks you're just you you're cold to. yeah and you're just relying on other people's forces to keep those decks down which is pretty much how this weekend played out as long as everybody's doing fair stuff like you'll just make a lot of zombies and they're not great against that Mm-mm. classic oko versus feel of the dead shenanigans right Right, and there's no questing beasts in Legacy to help you, like, get over the top of that thing. Is that what you're recommending for the Legacy players, just to pick up a bunch of questing beasts? No, I think it's mostly Wasteland that is, like, your <laughs> your thing you're clinging to to try to do the job. I want to see... I don't think Commander Legends will have a huge impact, because it mostly seems to be hate cards and, like, Monarch cards, which are just more mid-range fair battles. Mm-hmm. But Legacy just feels boring now. Yeah, I don't think that the Commander cards are going to open things up to different stuff being good in the format. It it might open up a different way for some of these matchups to play out. Court of Cunning is a really powerful grindy card out of the Delver deck. I, I think that it's probably the three that you sideboard in if, if you want that. Um, this is three mana enchantment. 
when it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, you mill a player for two, or if you're the monarch, you mill them for ten. So they don't have a lot of time, and if they're a deck that can't make can't become the monarch easily, that can't attack you to to steal that hat, then they're in a lot of trouble, and they don't have a lot of time to solve the problem. Yeah, I think Court of Grace is one I'm looking forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. It makes a spirit. It's the same thing. It makes you a monarch. It's a four drop. Uh, it makes a spirit every turn, unless you're the monarch, and then it makes an angel. So if you're if you on top of it, you're going to win the game yeah. by making an angel, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it lets you fight over the monarch really easily by mm-hmm. making a spirit every turn. Yeah, it's really good at that. It's just that it costs four mana and is white, so it's a little more, you know, Court of Cunning oh, yeah, just sure. goes in the Delver deck in the sideboard. There is some advantage to being a four mana white permanent, though. Like, you can't get a Propticator Pyroblasted. Yep. Yep, this is all true. Hull Breacher is the other one out of the set that has some application. This is a three mana kind of notion thief, but if they draw more, you know, if they draw cards more than the first card they would draw each turn, you get treasures instead of them getting those cards. So I think that the reason that it might be good in the Karn deck is because it's a three mana spell that Ancient Tomb actually helps cast, unlike Narset, and, you know, obviously Flash is good. So if you are about to start doing stuff with uh, Echo Vions, then this is better than Narset. But in games where, like, they kind of messed you up and you're just kind of scrabbling back into it, this three mana, what, three two? Mm-hmm. It's a Warpath cool. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, it's turning off their cantrips and stuff. Which is obviously good. The Death and Taxes decks are playing four Spirit of the Labyrinth. But I, I don't know. Like, I like minusing Narset a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, being able to attack Hoko is not that bad either, though. That's true. And I mean, being able to cast it off of Ancient Tomb is so huge that that probably outweighs everything else by, like, an enormous amount. So in that yeah, deck I specifically, so. I think that probably Hull Breacher is the proper choice. I would need to look at some more legacy lists too, because I know I've seen a few where Hole Breacher is included, but it's not like an Echo Vaeans deck, mm. and it's a Hole Breacher style deck. But I'm I'm blanking on the specifics because I I've just gotten glances here and there from Twitter. I haven't really delved into it yet. Yeah, I mean maybe just like being a good hate card, you know, being your Spirit of the Labyrinth in your Ancient Tomb deck that isn't shutting down your ability to draw cards, like. I don't know. Maybe it's just good enough. It, we'll, we'll definitely find out, because I think the card is certainly solid enough to get a lot of testing done with it. Yeah. It is very crazy with Echo of Eons. You draw a new yeah. hand, and then you get enough treasures that you can cast all the spells in your hand, and your opponent's gonna die. Like, it, that that turns your, like, turn three Echo of Eons into probably Mycosynth Latticing your opponent. <laughs> Even the combo decks that are not vulnerable to Force of Negation didn't do great um, which ones do you think of elves and oops all spells both had you know below 50 percent win rates in this tournament i wonder if that's so oops all spells missed it had a, a player who missed on top eight right mm-hmm. so and they were the only person doing well with it yes near about yeah 
because I, I would think that if there were maybe it's just Delver like actual just Delver being naturally good against those decks yeah I mean just great pressure and force of will and yeah I don't know what so Dreadhorde Arcanist as the premier threat in the deck like really changes the elves matchup out of Delver like the fact that you get to bolt and then cantrip into bolts and then reuse your bolts like you use up their their cardboard really quickly and you leave them with like very low on resources like yeah you force them to have a glimpse pretty early or a natural order into crater hoof mm -hmm. like timely or you they just run out yeah that's why everyone's playing like usually a chain lightning in there yep for the dreadhorde i'm going to talk about with in addition to the four lightning bolts mm -hmm. yeah so i i think just like the power level of Delver has gotten to the point where, like, yeah, the Force Negations are pushing out the Storms and other, you know, linear combo-y decks that rely on non-creature spells. They're pushing them out of the format completely. People were still willing to play, you know, Oops All Spells, Elves, Dark Depths, but they weren't super successful with them. Kind of sad. I think Legacy loses a lot when you have boiled down the format this much so that there's only a handful of decks that are like reasonable to play. Yeah. And it's not like I don't think Elves is one of those decks, because I do think Elves is pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty solid. But it's sad that so much other like niche decks in the format just can't really see the light of day just on how powerful the top decks are. Yeah. It will be wild if, you know, Watsi comes to a similar conclusion and is just like, yeah, Force of Negation is just killing Legacy. We got to get rid of that thing. But I wonder if that would... I, I, I'd, it would be really interesting to see the change that comes out of Force of Negation getting banned in the format. Yeah, it could be Force. It could be, like, one of the newer cards, Ashley or something like that. I don't, I don't know what the... The calculus is yeah i don't think i mean astrally would get rid of the snoko decks but we saw multiple different kinds of controlling decks like well i think the synergy between astrally and oko is very yeah yeah is really really strong yeah and the synergy between an oko astrolabe and uh dead of winter is really nice too yeah that's pretty good yeah, certainly the control decks are relying on Astrolabe to a pretty solid extent, but I think it's mostly the Delver decks that are pushing the, like, kind of neat legacy-defining decks out of the format. Well, I think Delver decks have always kind of done that. I've never been a huge proponent of Delver being the, like, premier best legacy deck the way it so often is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've just accepted that we're never going to ban... Wasteland, Brainstorm, Delver, like any of these cards. They're just protected. Right. Well, and I, I just, I think that probably, like, if you look at this format and you want to change it, I think that you have to do something to Delver to do that. I, I don't think, it, I don't think Weakening Snoko is going to give you any of the results. If you want to change, I don't think that's going to do enough. <sighs> yeah, Legacy's in a spot that I did not comfortable with but i don't think like the gameplay is that bad like it's not like historic you know mm -hmm. where legacy is fun to play yeah and historic isn't yeah and <laughs> like that that gets the main difference the games were like really fun to watch like there was a lot of interplay and a lot of back and forth and certainly 
when there were linear decks that were doing well and they were playing against the interactive decks, like they were interacting in a way that, you know, there was always a threat that they would be doing something that there was like the games were tight. Like the individual matches were very good. Yeah. I think that's one thing legacy is really strong at mostly because it's a, a lot of the time in standard or pioneer, like any of the newer formats, a lot of the gameplay comes from what's on the board right then. You've like had turns to develop it. Mm-hmm. But having things be on the board means they provide value constantly over time. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Legacy, a bunch of the cards are not adding to the board, yeah. like especially counter spells. So you have to use these very judiciously. And it makes them very difficult to like pick your spot. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really, really rewarding if you play a lot of legacy and you know the matchups and you you're navigating those games right yeah i mean the most important zones in legacy still are like hand and stack whereas in standard it's like battlefield and sometimes graveyard i guess yeah yeah i don't know i don't have a ton of other stuff to add about legacy it is a wildly fair format for how many incredibly powerful cards are available to players in it um yeah, I think it's somehow less broken than Pioneer was like three months ago. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Despite it having, you know, 20 more years of cards or whatever. <laughs> oh, do you want to do a Patreon question? Yeah, if we got one. Okay, so Sean Hunter asked, Jerry and Brian recently suggested merging Pioneer and Historic into one format that can play it on both Arena and MTGO. Thoughts on this? If not, then what would you do to address current issues or the lack of fun in each of those formats? For the record, Sean enjoys both formats. <laughs> also for the record, Sean 6 would this event as well. While he did not finish ninth place, it was the same record as eighth place. So, you know, it, it's just the 6 stretched down to like 20-something. But perennially on the bubble on the cusp of victory just, he's just one step yeah from breaking through yeah. it. um i don't know what do you think about this i i know that yeah so this was something that like jerry and brian have talked about on the arena decklist podcast and yeah i'm interested to hear your take on it so i haven't listened to the most recent episode of their podcast but i know the last time i heard them talking about it they didn't suggest merging it. They actually just suggested trashing Pioneer and only having it be historic. Yeah. Which would become the new, like, postmodern pre-standard format. Right. And then as sets get added, it eventually becomes, like, approximately the size of Pioneer. Yeah. So I hate that idea a lot. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't like historic. I think it's really, really poorly managed. And I don't want that to become the primary format. That said, like, I do think it's important for there to be a secondary constructed format on Magic Arena, which is the format or the, the client a large majority of Magic players play on. Mm-hmm. Because, like, standard and draft just get boring after a while. You want to play with old cards, that's fine. The problem I have with Historic is that the way they've added cards into the format not only makes it difficult to tell exactly what is in the format, like you, you still can't even search these cards on Gatherer. Yeah. Wizards is a coast search engine, which is nuts. Absurd. Yeah. 
it makes it difficult to know what's in the format and it kind of makes it just feel artificial like if historic becomes the main format that we're going to play in two years when we can play paper magic how am i going to get muxus i'm not going to pay like 400 dollars for them mm-hmm. <laughs> and that because they're in a jumpstart a set only released during a global pandemic yeah and i think the jumpstart thing is the main problem that i have with making this like a, a quote real format and like forcing us eventually to have paper decks of historic cards if it's just jumpstart then maybe we can like end up working around it at some point but i just have a hard time believing that none of the supplemental products are gonna like find their way to arena in the future and then they're gonna be legal and historic because that's how the constructed formats on arena work you know the next commander set they're just like yeah let's like we finally have implemented like multiplayer commander on arena and so we're gonna have the next commander decks come out on arena and then there's like a couple of cards from the commander set that start defining historic and it's and all of a sudden historic has the monarch and pioneer doesn't right and it's yeah and like then the cards are hard to find in paper because that's always what happens with these constructed viable cards from the supplemental sets and i think there's just huge problems with the basically there's diverging goals here because historic you have to make all of the cards that are legal on arena that haven't been banned in the format playable in it like that's the point of historic is that like you can play all your cards that you got here so rotation isn't that bad right it's like fine right that is at odds with making it a format that like works particularly if you have to start buying paper cards at paper prices for it uh i don't know that it's reconcilable i don't know that a format with muxus in it can be a pro tour you know like a paper gp format i i don't think it can and for the record i i actually really like pioneer not historic Mm -hmm. because i think as sets get added to a format it just improves naturally in the way i like formats to be Mm -hmm. without like high value cards like muxus or frexian tower being added to the format kind of even thought season honestly to pioneer i don't like because it was kind of thrown into the house as a uh (laughs) yeah but like ignoring that i think terrible in that standard and it's like pretty kind of bad for pioneer it's really bad for historic though in a way that it's not bad for pioneer yeah but pioneer has so many different sets and different strategies that it's much more enjoyable and also the ban list is managed much better than historic not by leaps and bounds by any (laughs) means but like you can still play omnath you can still play wilderness reclamation you you can still play some of the powerful cards from standard because it's held in check by a no one playing the format right now mm-hmm. because it's only on magic online and it's a it's just not, you're not going to get that many people playing it when there's nothing there's no like super ptqs or anything like that yeah i think once people can play magic formats in paper i don't know why there'd be a reason for historic to exist that was the main problem historic had six months ago right or i guess at this point a year ago (laughs) well see i don't i just don't see a good 
clean solution here. I do want, like the idea of consolidating these formats in some way is attractive. There literally are just too many magic formats. I would trash Historic in a heartbeat and erase all of the Historic exclusive cards on Magic Arena from the client <laughs> and just have it be Historic. Or I'm sorry, have, it, have be it be Pioneer. Pioneer. Yeah, I, I think I'm like mo more comfortable with that, certainly, than the like get rid of Pioneer and then eventually Historic becomes Pioneer. Like Muxus right now is $27 and that is with it not being a constructed playable card it's just like well known and does a, a neat thing that nothing else does and not a lot of them exist imagine if like two years from now we're playing paper historic and like jumpstart has been out of print and there's a brand new huge demand for muxus one of the best cards in historic and you know it could be anything from a supplemental set that hits that like level of desirability isn't allosaurus shepherd still like 80 dollars or something like that yeah probably that like that's um what a jumpstart mythic and muxus is a yeah. jumpstart rare so yeah it's about 75 dollars and that's like exclusively legacy pushing that and not that many cards are needed to satisfy the legacy need for them so imagine if there's all of a sudden like a mainstream like gp slash scg format slash fnm format that needs these cards like there need to be more sources for them and i just i hate playing with cards from these supplemental sets that are so much better than the other stuff in the format like maybe we can do this if wizard starts banning these cards more judiciously and stops putting these supplemental cards into the client but that's just not going to happen yeah i think so too yep my my take on this is historic is a band-aid for a real format yeah it, i mean all it is is a fix to the rotation problem yeah which like is m mediocre too because like have you played with your okos in a while nope <laughs> i have not <laughs> So you can, you really can't play with all the cards you you would be able to with. Well, and it 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 isn't just like ha Oko got banned. You can't play like that card doesn't exist on Arena. It's also like most of your standard playable rares are not playable in Historic. Like they don't do anything for you anymore. Once upon a time, Fire's Invention. <laughs> no, but but I'm 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 saying not not just those. I I'm saying like literally the vast majority of cards that you put into a deck. It's not that you're not allowed to play them, but it's just that they aren't good enough and will never be good enough. Like, when Shatter the Sky rotates out, there's just a strictly better one in the format. So yeah. you're never going to play Shatter the Sky again. Uh, and that card is... Temples, all the temples. Yeah, all, all mostly unplayable, although they're lands, so there's weird spots. Uh, but, you know, creatures, like your aggro creatures and stuff, they're just... And, the, and those are all rare now, but you're not going to play Fervent Champion in the future. No. No, I'm not going to. Don't even play it in the present. But, right, like, <laughs> you know, Historic is a... It's a facade, really. It's, it's, it's doing a good job at pretending... Wizards is doing a good job of pretending to take Historic, like, very seriously. Mm -hmm. While ignoring the fact that it's, like, not a very serious format. Yeah, but, you know, we're about to play it in a Pro Tour. Like, this weekend's PTQs were historic. It's being 
warped into like yeah this is a serious format for serious gameplay but like not only does number one like the gameplay kind of suck right now but also like there's not really a route for this format to really become something permanently nope it's just it's just there until they program all the pioneer cards into it yeah and they've got like six more user sets for that right yeah and then what we have pioneer and they like what happens to the supplemental cards like burn them it's burn them down yeah i guess and we have historic as a you know as it was intended to be when they announced it a format you could queue for every once in a while without absolutely no support <laughs> yeah i like some people are going to be very disappointed kind of no matter how they do this but I think ultimately, yes, just there needs to be a consolidation. You can't have both historic and pioneer existing at the same time. There's just too many formats. I hope we answered all of Sean's question. I don't, I don't think we did, but point. I think that that tangent mostly gave like what we actually think. What about. would, oh, what would I do? What would we do to address current issues slash lack of fun? That one, I don't know. I'll have to ask that one next week. I mean, <laughs> like to address lack of fun in historic right now, I think Thoughtseize, Muxus, and probably Phyrexian Tower cannot be allowed to be in the format. I I feel like we're just going to be playing fun whack-a-mole mm -hmm. because of how disastrous standard from Thrallville Drain Forward has been. Yeah. But standard and right now continues to be pretty good after they caught them all. So really, it's just a matter of how many moles we need to whack. The moles, so it's like a pretty consistent type of mole that they kept creating, which is like over and over. They just created these cards that give you a huge amount of value the turn you cast them. And then if you untap with them, you win the game. Like, and then once those are gone, standard's pretty good. But historic is still dealing with Uro. Like, Muxus is just a completely nonsense card that just should never have been put into a format where you play with it, I guess. It's a, I think it's a pretty cool commander card and nowhere else. Yeah, yeah. But it shouldn't be allowed... You shouldn't be able to do this on turn three and kill your opponent in a constructed format. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that they could play the Whack-A-Mole game and get there and it would mean admitting some of their mistakes with the supplemental stuff i, I i'm really disappointed by the inclusion of Thoughtseize into the format just added in like look if you're not playing standard you're gonna get thought seized that's just the way magic I is wish, i wish they had just yeah that, that's kind of weird but <laughs> i wish they had included any reasoning at all anywhere mm-hmm as to why they chose to put these specific cards into the format. Right. Because I don't know if that reasoning exists. Like, I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah. And it's just the gap between Thoughtseize and the other things you can do on turn one in the format is so vast that it's just, like, really obvious that that's what you should be doing. I, I actually hate that about modern magic philosophy for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Is that they've gutted all options at one mana. Mm. Like basically look at the last like pioneer level of sets. There's basically nothing good to do at one mana at all, except for Land Elves. Yeah. 
or Enthotsies, yeah. Right. And, like, the aggressive creatures are, like, okay, but the aggro decks have been kind of, like, punished so hard that that's not really a great start. Yeah, removal spells all start at two mana or are shock. Cantrips are opt or non-existent. Like, you just don't get cards at one mana anymore, and I I don't like it. I think it is not good for, like, gameplay. It just encourages people to slow down their decks to put the more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cost-efficient? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to put the more cost-efficient cards into their deck, and then it becomes everyone slowing their deck down. Cards like Uro, Oko, uh, any any... Niv-Mizzet, Reborn, all those cards become really, really strong because everyone's slowing their deck down. Like, if you're just the big mid-range deck, when everyone's playing mid-range, that's what the game has become. Yeah. And I think that's where... I definitely don't think the answer is having more one-mana removal spells. I think that worsens the problem. Um... Well, Fatal Push is a good example, counterexample, because Fatal Push is a one-mana removal spell. That is very good, but it's conditional. Mm-hmm. I wish we'd have more like that and less like lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah, lightning bolt not really acceptable unless it had like a restriction on it that was like you can't put this it needs like a Luris restriction on it or something like that. You know, can't put this in your deck you if you have anything your sideboard. That, that costs more than <laughs> three. Like if you could only play lightning bolt in an aggro deck, then I would be like okay with it. Yeah, I mean I don't know how to fix that particular problem. But it would be nice if there were just like things you could do on turn one that weren't just Thoughtseize or Llanowar Elves. Or Grafdigger's Cage now in right. Historic. Well, <laughs> things that actually like do something. That, that's why I was so drawn to that version of the God Pharaoh's Gift deck. Like every opening hand, I was like, oh my god, I get to like do stuff. I get to go turn one Bomat Courier, turn two Hope of Gear Up or Emery. Like it felt so good to be using my mana like that. And it you don't have those options uh in most types of decks and yeah i i totally feel that <sighs> okay <laughs> have we gone far Hopefully. enough afield i think so cool well i don't have anything else for today or for that t- topic uh yeah well hopically that was good enough for sean i'm, I'm sure there's like a lot for that question because mm-hmm. it's a really deep topic but you know that's that's where we are today yes cool well everybody thank you so much for listening we really really appreciate your time if you'd like to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast to join the community if you want to find us on social media i am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter at lee mcleo thanks so much for listening and have a great week enjoy your thanksgiving yeah happy thanksgiving (laughs) 